0: This morning, when Woody and Brennan asked me to speak, found out it was going to be Communion Sunday, so I was thinking about what to speak about, and I thought to talk about the New Covenant and what that means when Christ says, this is the New Covenant in my blood. And it's probably something that all of us can use a refresher on. Maybe some of you guys have never heard it before, but so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But in order to understand what the new covenant is, we're going to have to go back and get some concepts and definitions and find out what exactly the old covenant was. Okay, We're going to have to find out the different definitions of the covenant because there's two different types. There's conditional and unconditional. And uh, we're also going to have to, uh, to understand what the law of Moses was, why God gave the Israelites the law of Moses. And uh, we're also going to need to understand original sin and basically the reason that mankind is here on planet Earth. I know some of the youth group are probably rolling their eyes because they think there's no way that I'll be able to get through all that. Knowing as slow as I go through, we've been studying Genesis now for two years, and we're now halfway through chapter 10 in Genesis. So I think there's no way that this is going to be able to happen this morning. So we're going to have to run through this pretty quickly, so bear with me, and we're going to try to get all these concepts and then wrap it all together as we take communion. And the goal here is that when we get done... With this, uh, with a short little lesson here, is that when we take communion in a few minutes, we'll have a much better understanding of what the new covenant in Christ's blood is, what that means to us, and we can much better appreciate that and uh, and be able to share that with other people as well. Before we get started, we're gonna start. We're gonna go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter eleven, but uh, let's just go ahead and open up in a word of prayer here. Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness towards us thank you that you did come down to earth and shed your blood for us and thank you that you rose again three days later as we just sang about thank you that we do have a new covenant in your blood and i thank you that you have had a plan for mankind from the very beginning that even despite all of our faults and all of our shortcomings that uh, that you came down to save us and thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made for us and thank you for your powerful blood that can wash away all of our sins and i pray to the lord that as we uh, open up your Word, study your Scriptures here this morning. That your Holy Spirit would give us uh, give us light into uh, what your what your Word says to us. And I pray for those of, uh, those that are here that don't know you that your Holy Spirit would convict their hearts and help them to realize their need for a Savior. We pray all these things in your Holy Name, Amen. All right, First Corinthians chapter eleven, and we'll just uh, cover a few verses here that you guys are very familiar with, and. Probably Brennan will uh, reference here as we take communion here in a few minutes. Chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, the word here that we have uh, in verse 25, this cup is the new covenant. That's kind of going to be the focus of this message. Now, that word covenant there... Is also maybe some of you guys have a different translation. Is translated the new the New Testament as well. Maybe some of you guys have that in your Bible, the New Testament. And testament is actually the the Greek word that's referring to there. And it's actually last will and testament. Like when somebody dies, they have their will, their last will and testament. And obviously you know that in order for somebody to get the benefits, if you inherit something from somebody who passes away, they have to pass away first, right, in order for you to, to, to receive that inheritance. And that's the idea there, that this is the new last will and testament of Christ in his blood. So he is uh, going to have to die for that to, uh, to take place there. Now, we also know we have two parts of our Bible, right? We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament, about the last quarter of our Bible, is referring to the inheritance that we as children of God can have through, uh, by being heirs of Christ himself. So it's important that we understand this concept and, and that we understand what the Testaments are and what the Covenants are. Now, that's the, the Greek meaning of the word testament or covenant that is right here. Now, the word covenant is used in the Old Testament. Old Testament is mostly uh, written in Hebrew and there's, there's one word for uh, the word covenant in the Old Testament. However, there's two different types of covenants. And some of you guys have heard of these before. The, uh, th- there's an unconditional covenant and there's a conditional covenant. Two different types there. However, it's the same word that's used for both different types. And we're going to explain the two different types. So how do you understand which covenant they're talking about? There's many different covenants in the Old Testament. You have to look at the, you have to look at basically the covenant itself and what are the stipulations in that covenant to, to understand whether it's con, unconditional or conditional. Now the two different types here, let me give you an example here. Uh, as many of you know, I'm renting a house uh, I'm renting a house for Mrs. Betty Tedford Many of you guys uh, know her and uh, basically her and I have a, a covenant or a contract of sorts, if you will. It's a two-way deal. Um, if I pay my rent, and, uh, and I pay the utilities and take care of the house and don't let the youth group burn it down, <laughs> then, uh, then she will allow me to live in her house. Okay? That's a two way covenant. So I have to hold up my part and she'll hold up her part and let me live in that house. Okay? So that's an uncondi- or, correction, that's a uh, conditional covenant. So two, a two way uh, type of covenant there. Now there's an unconditional covenant, which is a one way deal. In other words, I will do this for you and you don't need to do anything in return. That is an unconditional covenant. An example of that would be, say, the love that a parent has uh, for a child. I will give you my love. There's nothing you need to do in return. Even if you don't put your toys away, even if you're not good, even if whatever, I'm still going to love you because you're my child. It's a one way contract. And that is an unconditional covenant. Okay, so we have to, when we're looking at these covenants in the Old Testament, we have to understand those two different types of covenants. Um, Now, let's talk about a few examples of covenants in the Old Testament. And then we'll uh, bring it to the uh, the final covenant uh, that is the old covenant, the law that we speak about. The first one is the Adamic covenant. Now that's the covenant made the time of uh, with Adam and Eve. Actually, that's why that's where it gets its name there. And in Genesis chapter three in verse fifteen, uh, it says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Okay. The, uh, the context that this happens is, is this is right after Adam and Eve sinned against God, okay? In the Garden of Eden, they, uh, they chose sin over their relationship with God and over God's commandment, right? And uh, God immediately knew what he would do. He would provide a way. And I want to ask some of the youth group here, do you guys remember what this covenant is called? The proto... The Proto-Evangelium, it's a, it's a big word that we that we learn there. It makes you sound smart, but all it means is uh, it's the first gospel. Okay, That's what the Proto-Evangelium, this is the first prophecy that we have that God is going to provide a way. Now, now, remember, this is happening as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. Remember, they're, they're hiding in shame. They knew that they did something wrong against God, and he immediately comes up with this prophecy that I will provide a way. Okay? It's a little bit cryptic here, but this, this is the, the meaning of it. And also remember that, this, that God wasn't taken by surprise by this when Adam and Eve sinned, right? He wasn't like, oh, man, they actually did it. They actually sinned against me. I'm going to have to go to plan B now, right? That's not the way it works. God knew from the very beginning. He's sovereign. He knew exactly what would happen, and this was going to be his provision from before time began that God would provide a way through his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah that would come. And then this is the prophecy that's given to Adam and Eve there, that God would provide a way, and not only to Adam and Eve, but to all of mankind. Now, he's speaking directly to Satan here, the serpent that that deceived Eve, right? Um, He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and he shall bruise your heel. In other words, he will destroy you, he will crush you. However, you will wound him, okay? That's the idea there, and that's speaking about... um, uh, what Christ would do on the cross, the first gospel that we have here. Now, this is the covenant that God gives to Adam and Eve and to all of mankind that he will provide a way, okay? That's an unconditional covenant. In other words, they had already sinned. They had no, they had nothing that they could do for God at this point in time. Remember, they were just hiding in shame. God says, I will do this for mankind, okay? That's one type of unconditional covenant. Another type of unconditional covenant is the Noahic covenant, and you can uh, figure out from the name there, It comes from the covenant with Noah. Actually, Noah and his family, when they get off the ark, uh, and and Noah builds an altar to God, very first thing that he does there. And and there's actually different parts of this covenant, but we're specifically talking about the part where God says, I will never again destroy the entire earth, all life on the earth, with water. Okay? Okay they specifically referring to that. And the sign of that covenant is the rainbow, as, as we all know there. Now, this is an unconditional covenant. God didn't say, you know, Noah, if you and your descendants, you know, if you follow me and if you do everything that I say, then I will never again destroy the world with water. Okay? He didn't say that. He says, I will never again destroy all life on earth with water. That's an unconditional covenant. There's nothing that they needed to do. It's a one-way check valve kind of thing. All right? Um, the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, this is another one found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there real quick. This is a covenant given to Abraham. Or, um, and he says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and to your, rel- and to your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you, you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those, uh, and, and the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, this is a, another unconditional covenant that God says to Abraham at this time that he will make his posterity a great nation. And we all know that He's the father of the nation of Israel, of the Jewish people. Okay, and not only that, so that's one part of the covenant there, is that he will make a great nation from, uh, from Abraham. But the other part of it is is that uh, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I wonder if when God told this to Abraham, if there's a big question mark over Abraham's head, what, is, what does that mean that all the families of the earth will be blessed uh, through his seed? And also is specifically, one, it's a singular there. So it's not just all the families of the earth will be blessed through the Jewish nation. That's not what it's referring to. It's referring to a single person. We all uh, get the hint who that is, but turn to Galatians chapter 3. In verse 16. And Galatians 3.16 actually explains this, uh, this prophecy that was given to Abraham, this unconditional covenant. It says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, And to seeds, plural, as we just mentioned, as referring to many, but rather to one. okay, Singular. And to your seed, now he explains it, that is Christ. This is the prophecy that all the families of the earth would be blessed through one seed of Abraham, and that is Christ, the Messiah that we have. And that's part of the mystery of the gospel that Paul speaks about later, is that, uh, is that Gentiles, which most of us are in here, uh, can have that inheritance of be- becoming an heir of Christ, okay? It's not just a promise of eternal salvation for, for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, but it's also for the Gentiles as well. Um, so that's part of that, uh, that unconditional covenant that God gives to Abraham, that he would provide a way... Through Abraham. Another one-way, unconditional covenant. Now let's go to one called the Mosaic Covenant. And that's obviously a covenant made through Moses. And uh, you, can, you can find that covenant, and most of us are familiar with it once I explain what it is, in Exodus chapter 20, one through thirty, or Exodus chapter twenty, all the way through Exodus chapter thirty-one. And that is what is commonly referred to as the law. Okay, the Mosaic Covenant, or the law, or another word for it is the Old Covenant, okay? Um, or the Old Testament as well, actually. Um, so that, that is, uh, that, that is the, the covenant that is given to Israel. It consists of quite a few different things. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. Well, that's part of the law of Moses. But is that the complete law of Moses? No, that's just the the Ten Commandments, the ten major ones. We're familiar with most of those. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, have no other gods before me, etc. But there's also a ton of other uh, religious ordinances that God gives to the nation of Israel that they're to keep. That's included in that old covenant or that old law. And a lot of those, some of them are kind of strange, and I'll I'll throw out a couple of them to you. Uh, There's one that uh, if one man's ox kills another man's ox... The one man who had the offending ox has to go and sell it at an auction, okay? Then they have to split the proceeds that they got from that ox. Not only that, but they have to take the dead ox, cut it in half, and then split the dead ox, one between each of them. It's just one of those, kind of makes sense, you know. There's another strange one here, and I hope there's no offenders for this one. Genesis 23:19 says, You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Anybody guilty of that? I'm, I'm not, not guilty of that one. Um, and I'm not sure the reason behind that. I just think it's pretty funny not to cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, Sure, okay. Um, But anyway, the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant brings us to an interesting question. Uh, And first of all, did Israel keep all of these ordinances? Did they keep all the Ten Commandments? Everybody's shaking their head no. Uh, They absolutely could not. They did not, right? They actually broke all of them. Uh, from the very beginning, even, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me, even as God's doing miracles for them and guiding them through the wilderness and et cetera, et cetera, I mean, their whole existence, God is taking care of them, and they still uh, completely disobey God. Um, so why would God give them a covenant or why would God give them commandments and ordinances that they could not keep? That is a very interesting question, and we find out that, that much of the Old Testament that the Israelites are required to keep all of these different ordinances, sacrificing animals for all these different occasions, all these different uh, festivals and feasts that they have to have and, and all this kind of stuff. And he gives them all these uh, all these commandments that, that they could never keep. Why would he give them these covenants, or why, why would he give them this covenant that they could not hold up their part of? And, oh, by the way, this is a conditional covenant. God says, if you do this part, then I will do my part. And actually in Exodus 19, he says uh, that... If the nation of Israel does their part, then I will be their God. They will be my people. They will be a kingdom of, uh, or a nation of priests. Now, what does that mean, a nation of priests? Well, who did they need to go to God before them uh, if they wanted to offer sacrifice? They couldn't just go and do it themselves. They had to give it to the priest, and the priest had to do that. And then once a year, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies. What did he mean when he said, I would make them a nation of priests? Basically, that if they held up their end of the covenant, that they could have direct access to God. They wouldn't need to go through a priest. Which, by the way, we can. We can go directly to God. We can pray to Him and approach the throne of grace boldly. Okay, but that, that's part of the two-way covenant. They can never hold up their end of that, right? So it's a conditional, uh, conditional covenant. So why did God give them this law? What is the purpose of the Old Testament? Okay, big mystery here. Turn to Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-four. It says, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. What does that mean? The law has become our tutor. Okay, that's an interesting word, and it's it's somebody that is teaching somebody something. So the law is to teach us, to lead us to Christ. That's the whole purpose of the law. We would never intend to gain righteousness by doing the law, right? That was a problem that the Pharisees had, is that they thought that they could earn favor, earn righteousness with God by keeping the ordinance of the law, by keeping every little uh, detail of the law. They thought that they could earn that righteousness. That was never the intent of the law. It was always to lead them to Christ. As a matter of fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, that's the hall of faith. You know, you find all these heroes of the Old Testament, um, and they all earned favor by God through their faith in God to provide a way, right? It was through their faith every single time it wasn't through their actions through their deeds it was by their faith in God provide a way to salvation okay so we so the law is our tutor to lead us to Christ another interesting one in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 1 says for the law since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices which they offer year by year Make perfect those who draw near. Now we just mentioned that those sacrifices that were offered year after year, uh, season after season, all the time for every single person, they were never intended to make perfect. In other words, to wash away, to atone, wash away everybody's sin. It was they were never. It was never intended to do that, but it was to be a shadow. Interesting word here of the good things to come, and not the very form of things. It wasn't the end right there. It was to lead them to something else, to, for them to realize, hey, I can never uphold all of these commandments, all these religious ordinances. Now, shadow. Now, imagine we're out in the bright sun, and you can see my shadow. I can actually see my own shadow right here from that, that light. Now, looking at my shadow down here on the ground, I can tell that I'm a human being, right? Um, maybe if you were to judge the angle of the light and all this other kind of uh, math there, you can figure out approximately how tall I am, you know, two arms, all that kind of stuff, but you cannot tell what I physically look like by my shadow, Right? If you were to only see my shadow and nothing else. Well, that's the purpose of the law, is it simply points towards the thing that's making the shadow, right? Another uh, interesting quote, I, I don't know where this quote is from, but it says, The law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. Okay? So that is the purpose of the law, is never to sweep it clean, to never take away your sins, but to lead you to something else that will take away your sins. And that is the whole purpose of that, to point us to Christ, Okay, our tutor. Um, Now, the Bible also says, but those sacrifices, they're an annual reminder of sin. Okay, and uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, we can go ahead and go to Hebrews because I think this is where we'll spend the majority of our time from here on out. we just read in verse verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10 about the shadow of the good things to come. Verse 3 and 4, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We've heard this before. The the sacrifices that were offered year after year is a reminder of our sins. It's not to wash away our sins. Again, to emphasize that point. The blood of bulls and goats and dove and everything else—that is, there's no way that can ever take away our sin. Okay, it's uh, just—it's just a shadow to point us towards our need for a Savior. Now we need to draw this all together. Let's move back a chapter to Hebrews chapter nine. Let's kind of wrap this all together and bring what we've learned about these covenants and the conditional covenant that we have through the law of Moses, the law of the Old Testament the Old Covenant, and see what Christ has done for us. And maybe this will make us appreciate a lot more uh, what he has done for us and what his blood means to us. Verse 11 through 14 of Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, let's pause there for a second, Christ appeared not just as a perfect sacrifice for us, right? Because he did not inherit that sin nature from Adam and Eve, right? Like every single one of us inherited. He's perfect. He's God's own son. He was sinless. He was the only one that could pay the price for our sins. The only one ever, okay? The blood of bulls and goats and calves, they could never atone for our sin, but he was not only the sacrifice, but he was also the perfect high priest. So he offered himself. He didn't have to have somebody else offer him up. And he didn't offer himself, have to go into the tent or the tabernacle or the, the, um, the temple there to offer up himself. He offered himself uh, as, as, his, uh, as the perfect atonement for our sins. And through his own blood, and then we'll continue there, he entered into the holy place once for all. I like that. That's one of my favorite parts there. Once for all, it's not a reoccurring kind of thing where he had to continue to offer himself up. It's a one-time sacrifice because it's the perfect sacrifice. It didn't have to continue to, uh, to happen over and over again. He entered into the holy place. Once for all, he didn't need a high priest to take him into the, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Okay? That shows us how powerful his blood is. And then it goes on. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, just an act of obedience to God's commands there to, to show us that reminder there. Uh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Christ. I mean, this is the, the whole point of this is to show us how powerful his blood is. And it can absolutely cover us up um, For eternity, every sin, past, present, and future, that's the whole purpose for this. Um, He offered his own blood. Now we've got to take it back to God's eternal plan. Um, From the very beginning of time, as we talked about from the very proto-evangelium, from the first gospel, God knew his plan for mankind, right? We're not just here by happenstance. He had a, a plan from the very beginning of time to redeem us, mankind, to have fellowship with him. That's our purpose for existence You know, when people ask, why am I here kind of thing, that's why we're here, to have a perfect relationship with God. That's why we were created. And he knew, he wanted us, he wanted to give us the chance to choose him, and he also wanted to redeem us. That shows how great his love is for us. And not only that, but he had this plan from the very beginning of time that he would offer his own son sacrifice for our sins. That should, I mean, it boggles the mind, really, to think about why he would do that for us. Uh, but he did. I mean, it's out of his great love that we have. That's God's eternal plan. Not only that, but think about this. Um, when mankind sinned, they brought sin into the earth. We live in a sin-cursed world, right? We all experience sickness, disease, death, suffering, famine, genocide, everything bad. You can think about murders all the time. We live in a, in a horrible world because, as a result of sin. This isn't the way that God created it. In the beginning, right? We read about the perfect earth in uh, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 before mankind sinned, and then after that, things went downhill very, very quickly. We probably don't even realize from day to day how bad things are compared to what they should be and what they should have been, how God intended it. Now, for God to win the ultimate victory in this story, okay, the story of mankind, uh, He has to reverse those effects of sin. Right? And to take it back to the way it was before, even better now, because now we can have eternal redemption through him. We can have that fellowship like we were intended to have with him. We can be fulfilled. Um, so he has to reverse those effects of sin. We know the end of the story, right? We can read the prophecies in Isaiah. And we can read uh, Revelation and figure out that at the end, we have a new heaven that's going to be created, a new earth. We have a new Jerusalem that we're going to live in. And we'll be able to worship him in, uh, in perfection for all of eternity, right? And it's not just, you know, us floating around with cherubim, you know, little naked babies strumming harps kind of thing. It's much, much better. It's the way that it was originally created, you know, to, to be. So he's going to have to reverse those effects of sin. That's the end of the story. We're living here in the middle of the story, right? We're still living in a sin-cursed world. We know that the end is coming, and we're much closer to it than we were yesterday, 24 hours to be exact, to be exact. But... Uh, that's the ultimate end of the story here. That's his eternal plan of redemption. So we're, there's, is, things just aren't happening by random circumstance. It, it, all it's coming to a culmination here. Um, now, to add in the rest of the piece here, it's not just a universalist message that we're talking about here. There you have to accept his payment. There's nothing that you can do. You can't earn your way. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. You can't give enough money. You can't do whatever it is you know your good deed of the day is. You can't be just better than Joe down the street. You have to uh, you have to accept his payment because there's nothing like like we talked about. There's no laws that you can uphold and all that kind of stuff. You have to accept his payment because he has provided that very perfect payment for us. Um, Hebrews chapter two in verse three it says how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation in other words god has provided this fantastic perfect plan the salvation through his son now if we don't accept that how can we escape because there's no other way that's the perfect way why would we reject that is basically the point of that and then hebrews chapter 10 in verse 26 and 27 and this is this is a part that is not as popular in today's I'm talking about all of throughout uh, American Christian society, whatever, is people don't like to preach the, the message that the Bible speaks upon judgment, right? We like to hear about the love of God and, and, and all this uh, kind of stuff, which God, I mean, is fantastic love. It, it boggles the mind. But there's also a punishment not intended for us, but if we don't accept his payment for us that he made on the cross, there is a punishment, and it's right out of the Bible here. Uh, and Christ preaches it, and it's throughout the whole Bible. And we have to focus on this as well. Um, in verse 26, for if we go on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay. In other words, if we have been presented this message of salvation through Christ's only Son, Jesus Christ, or through God's only Son, Jesus Christ, um, and we reject that, there is no other sacrifice. There's not another path. Right? Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. There's no other way. You know, There's not many paths that lead to the same kind of thing. It's not that universalist kind of thing. There's one path there. If we reject that one path, uh, there no longer remains another sacrifice for sins. In verse 27, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Okay, This is not the popular message that the world wants to hear. They don't want to hear... The, the, the judgment side of this. But that's but that's part of the, the good news is that Christ has provided a way, so we don't have to have that judgment. All you have to do is just accept what he's already done for you, and that's all there is to it. But that's the other side of it. So the question remains here is have you accepted that uh, have you accepted that payment that Christ has made for you on the cross? It's a, it's a simple thing, and I, I love it. It comes down to the most simple verse that probably the very first one that everybody... And here has memorized in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, that's the the ultimate message of love. There, He provided His own Son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe in Him. All you have to do is accept that payment that He made for you on the cross. That's all there is to it. Okay, you don't have to you don't have to do works. Okay, it's by grace through faith plus nothing. Okay, grace through faith. There is no other additional thing that you have to add to that equation. There. If you add something else to that equation, it negates the equation, right? Okay, it's grace through faith in uh, in Christ Jesus, the provision that we have for for here. So if you don't, if you have never accepted that payment that Christ made for you on the cross, it's something that's the most important decision you could ever make in your life. I mean, that's the that's the thing that's going to get you right with God, that you can have your sins forgiven, and so you can have fellowship with Him for eternity. Very most important reason that we are created, and the most important decision that you could ever make. Um, the conclusion is, as we wrap all the stuff and bring it all together, back to the new covenant, back to the message. As we take communion here in a few moments, is uh, and we and we realize. Let's think now with our understanding of the covenants and how the old covenant was imperfect. How Christ uh, gave Himself for us. Now let's read again, or just listen. As, uh, as we quote from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." So when we take communion, we're remembering Christ's body that He gave for us, and how He uh, how He offered up His own body as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In this cup, this makes me want to cheer. Like when I when we when we uh, when we take communion and we say, "This is the new covenant in Christ's blood." I mean, that's an, that's a fantastic. Kind of thing, and when we take when we take that and we realize what the implications of that new covenant, that new testament is in Christ's blood, and remember He had to die to make this inheritance that we can have. He had to die to make that happen, right? And not only that, but as the quartet sang a little while ago, He rose again three days later. So He defeated sin, and that very uh, that very um, power that raised Him from the dead will one day raise us as well. So we have hope of eternal life. Um, so that gives us a better perspective on uh, on why we needed this new covenant. The old covenant was not good enough for us. It was imperfect. It was something that was just intended to point us towards the coming Messiah, right? And even in the Old Testament, people that, that lived and died before Christ's time, they had to have faith in, in the Messiah just like we did. They were looking to the future Messiah that would come, the future Christ. And now we know that Jesus Christ came, so we look back and place our trust in the Messiah who came. So the exact same way of salvation there. Get a perspective here. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18 through 25, we'll wrap it up with this. This is what it should lead us to. And think about these, these verses here and the implications that we have through them. Hebrews 10, 18. And where these things have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We no longer need to offer up a sacrifice for sin. And now we no longer need a high priest to go into the Holy of Holies to, or a high priest to offer up a sacrifice for our sin. We no longer have to bring a goat or a bull um, or anything like that to offer up a sacrifice for our sins because we had that one perfect sacrifice that came. Um, and he entered into the most holy place. Uh, and now we can go as a priest and have direct access to God. Can you imagine how... Mind-boggling that is to be able to have direct access to God, as perfect and holy as He is. Now we have the blood of Christ. So those of us that have accepted that and can go directly into His presence without having to go through any kind of me- uh, mediator. There, okay? Because Christ is the one that did that for us. He is the perfect priest, and we can go with boldness before Him. And this also reminds us to not live a defeated Christian life. Um, if any of you have le- read the Screw Tape Letters by uh, by C. S. Lewis. It's, uh, it's an interesting kind of uh, um, fictional novel kind of thing, but the, the whole premise of it is is that there's a senior demon trying to teach his younger nephew demon how to, uh, how to deceive people and how to, um, how to keep Christians down and keep them from sharing their faith. And it's an interesting perspective there, but one of the ways is if he's already lost a Christian to, uh, for salvation, in other words, they've already accepted Christ, the next best thing he can do is keep them from living for him. And by, and by keeping them in their own guilt, okay? That is an absolutely incorrect uh, thing. If, if we're hampered by our guilt, in other words, I continue to sin, yes, we all do, right? Um, and I'm going to let that sin defeat me. I'll never accomplish anything for God because I continue to sin over and over again, and it's just very discouraging for me and very defeating. Now we have to go back, and, well, what about the, the blood of Christ? We're underestimating how powerful his blood is. We can actually have direct access and go boldly to him, every single time, and we can claim the blood of Christ that has covered us from our sins. That, that's a that's just an amazing thing, and that should keep you from living defeated Christian life, right? And he has provided a new and a living way. Remember this new covenant that we now have? It's a new and a living way, opened us through the curtain. Remember that gigantic curtain that separated the holy place from the, the holy of holies? And it was split from the top down to the bottom, right? And uh, and Christ is our great priest. In other words, we have direct access to God through Christ. And we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance. We can have absolutely full assurance, nothing that we need to doubt at all, because our bodies have been washed with pure water and our hearts have been sprinkled from a guilty conscience. Now, the encouraging part about that at the end now is that the day is approaching, the day when the story will come to a culmination at the very end. We know the end of the story here. And, uh, and we're drawing closer and closer every day. Don't know when exactly that's going to be um, at all, but uh, but we have that to look forward to. So in the meantime, we're to encourage one one another, and we're to share this perfect message, the message of all ages, the purpose for mankind being uh, in existence. That's what we're. That's to encourage us to share this with everybody else around us. So as we take communion here in a few moments, and as Brendan leaves us. I want us to think about that and the new covenant that we have in Christ's blood and what that should mean for us. All right, let's close in prayer. Our God, thank you so much for the sacrifice that you provided for us. Thank you for the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that we can now have access to your throne and we can come boldly before you. And we claim the blood of Jesus Christ, to be able to access that, not by any works that we could possibly do, um, but all through you, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, not live a defeated Christian life, but that you would help us to, uh, to realize what your blood means for us. I pray that we would hold unswervingly to the hope that we have and that we profess because we know that you are faithful and we know that you will keep your covenant. And I pray, God, that we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that we would encourage one another, that we would share this message of salvation to the lost and dying world that doesn't have a hope because they don't understand the purpose. And, Lord, I pray that if there is somebody here this morning that does not know you, that has not accepted this payment uh, that you have made for us, that they would, that your Holy Spirit would continue to prick their heart and help them to... uh, Uh, to know their need for you. And I pray that they would make that most important decision and accept you, Lord, so that they can have eternal life with you and to have the hope and the fulfillment that they were designed to have. We pray, Lord, that you come quickly. We thank you for your blood. In your name, amen.